Shalom, and I hope all is well. My name is Yitzchak Schiffman. Thanks for tuning into this podcast, and I hope you enjoy the Torah classes in it. Now, on to the episode. Shalom, everyone. Hope everyone's doing well. This is Hashem. We're continuing on today in Masechet Sanhedrin with Tet Amud Bet, with 9b. And we're going to continue and conclude our conversation or our discussion regarding what is the debate, the basis of debate between Reb Neir and the Chachamim about Motzi Shemra requiring three or 23 uh, judges. We'll have two final opinions. And then the second section of the day, we're going to move on to a related discussion. Rav Yosef and Rava will tell us a series of psakim regarding Motzi Shemra, and then regarding a concept called Palginan Dibure, which we'll speak about Bezat Hashem when we get there, regarding a person testifying about himself. We'll get to that, God willing, we'll start that today and finish it with Yudim Aleph when we continue on the next day. Our learning should be as a Rifuash Lema for Yaakov Ben Dina, and I have to say a special thank you today Hashem, we're on a retreat, a Shabbaton, with the Mechina, which is beautiful. Baruch Hashem, they made it a beautiful retreat for us. And uh, particularly a thank you for my wife for taking care of the kids right now and every day, but particularly now so that I could record and uh, post this class. So let's just remember, we're holding in the middle of a sugya discussing a machloket Rabbi Meir and the Chachamim, how many w- judges are necessary to adjudicate a case of Motzi Shemra. Motzi Shemra means the husband walks into court saying that his wife that he had just consummated marriage with was not a bitula, she was not a virgin. She turned out to be a bitula, a non-virgin. And there's actually two potential realities that could happen. There could be, without witnesses, just a loss of the ketuvah. You wouldn't have to pay her the money of the ketuvah. But if there are witnesses against her saying she was mezana, she strayed from under her husband after Kiddushin, before the Nisuin, she'll actually be Chayav Skila, death in court. So we have already given six explanations as to what is the basis of debate that Reb Meir says you need a court of three to adjudicate this, and the Chachamim say you need 23. We're going to finish off today in the first section with the last three, uh, the last two opinions, the seventh and eighth answers, explanations as to what is the point of debate between Reb Meir and the Chachamim. So let's see this inside. We are going to begin here, the Ibaiteima, the second line on Tetamud Bet, 9b, second line. The Ibaiteima, if you want, I'll say a seventh answer, another explanation as to what is the point of debate. What happened was the witnesses came into court. The husband brought witnesses saying that his wife had strayed, had slept with someone after the Kiddushin. And he brought witnesses into court. Now you'd say, okay, if uh, there's witnesses, so then this is a capital case. But the problem was, the case was that other people issued the warning, means not the witnesses. He brought in witnesses, but those witnesses were not the one who had issued the warning to the woman, to the suspected adulterer here. Others had warned them. And the witnesses themselves had not issued warning. Now this Rabbi Meir and the Chachamim will be based on a different machloket. Rabbi Yossi says, 
the litigant cannot be killed, even if there's witnesses and warning, unless the mouth of the two witnesses is the one that warns him. means even though you have the two critical parts of witnesses, and you also have a warning, but if the witnesses were not the ones to issue the warning, don't do that, you'll get killed if you do, the, the fellow, the litigant, or the potential uh, the potential criminal here cannot be killed in court. That's not an acceptable warning. Shana'amar, like the Pasuk tells us, it says, on the mouth of the two witnesses. And the way we expound the Pasuk is, in order for it to be, according to Yossi, sufficient warning that the litigant, the defendant, could be prosecuted in court and put to death, is only if the edim issued on their mouth if they issue the warning so then the, the defendant could be put to death but if others did and the witnesses happen to also witness the avera they cannot put that person to death so let's explain that's the position of Rabbi Yossi the Rabbanan disagree and say as long as you have a demonatra you have witnesses and warning even if others issued the warning it's still sufficient and you could put that fellow to death in court the case over here was the husband brought in witnesses who said they saw her straying from under her husband after Kiddushin. So she's Chayav Mita. The problem was they were not the ones to issue warning to her, to the adulterer, and therefore it comes out as follows. Rabbi Yossi says that's not sufficient, meaning those witnesses cannot be utilized to prosecute this woman in court practically. They're thrown out of court. This reverts back to being a monetary case. Rabbi Meir agrees to Rabbi Yossi, and therefore you only need a court of three to adjudicate this, as this is a monetary case. Will she forfeit the ketuvah? That's a different story, but that's not a capital case. You don't need 23. The Chachamim agree with the Chachamim of Rabbi Yossi that that is sufficient warning, even if others issued the warning and not Rabbi Yossi, and therefore... Since there's warning and there's a deem, this is a capital case. She could be put to death. You need a court of 23 to adjudicate this case. Beautiful. That's the seventh answer to explain the debate, Rabbi Meir and the Chachamim. Okay. One second. Let's continue. Now the eighth answer of the Gemara, the final answer. The alternatively, we'll say a final eighth answer to explain the debate of Meir and the Chachamim. This is very interesting. When witnesses would walk into court, particularly in a capital case, really, that's what we're focusing in on here, there was two levels of cross-analyzing that would occur with these witnesses. They didn't have to do what we're going to call bedikot and chakirot. Now what is that? So there was what we could call less essential questioning, and then there's the more essential questioning. The general facts, you could call it, and then the more particulars that are really absolutely necessary. So what does it mean? It means if you're going to put somebody to death, you have to make sure these adim are legitimate. So what would they do? They would separate the pair of witnesses who's entering court and testifying about something that could potentially put this fellow to death. Separate the two of them cross-question one and then the other, and then see if the answers matched up. Now, if the answers don't match up in terms of what had happened, so then these guys contradict each other and they're thrown out of court. Now, there's two levels of questioning, as I just said. There's the first level, which we call the bidikot. Now, the bidikot, as the Gemara is going to explain, 
This was more uh, superficial questioning. For example, as we're going to see regarding this case, what color clothing was the suspected adulterer wearing? It's not the real particular facts in the case, as we'll see, which is Chakirot, but it's the, what color was his clothing? That's Bidikot. Chakirot, the next level, which is the more essential questioning, is what was the date and what was the time that this Avera, that this crime occurred? Now, the second level of questioning is actually the essential level of questioning or the types of questions that could potentially lead to Hazama. Meaning, when, as we've spoken out before, a day azama is what other witnesses come in and say, you were with us on that day, you couldn't possibly have known in order to testify about this case. That's only applicable to the second level of testimony. Now, if a different group walks in and says something relating to the color of clothing, that's not a day azama. So we have these two levels of questioning. Again, bedikot is more generic, general, superficial questions, and the chakirot are the particulars that are more integral. What was the date that the thing occurred, the Avera occurred, what was the time, etc. So the Gemara is going to explain as follows. What happened was, is the witnesses were brought by the husband saying that they saw her being Mizana, she had strayed. Now that's a capital case, you'd say, right? The problem is, when they cross-analyzed these witnesses, they did line up in regards to the Chakirot, the more integral facts on the table, but they did not line up in terms of the Bidikot. One of the pair said the, uh, Bo the Boel, the suspected adulterer, was wearing white clothing. The other one said he was wearing black clothing. In such a scenario, in terms of the integral facts, they line up. But in terms of the superficial facts on the table, they don't. Now, the debate, Rabbi Meir and the Chachamim, is going to be, is the grounds of contradiction between them in the less integral facts sufficient to throw this out of court, making it a monetary case now? Or do we say, since that's less important information and they do line up in the more particulars, this is still taken seriously and this is a capital case and therefore you need 23, that's the Chachamim. Let's see that inside. So the Gemara says like this in the eighth answer, I'll say an eighth answer, is that the two witnesses were cross-analyzed with the Bidikot, the more general facts on the table. As Rashi explains, one said that the clothing of the um, a suspected adulterer was black and the other one said it was white so they actually contradicted themselves contradicted each other regarding the, the bidikot the general questioning but they did not contradict each other they lined up well in regards to the more integral facts like the date like the time etc so now we have a machloket as follows and this is based on a machloket ben zakai and the Rabbanan. Ben Zakkai, I believe, was Rav Yochanan Ben Zakkai. Before he had Smichai, he was called Ben Zakkai. So this machloket, if you could still keep these witnesses, and it'll still be a capital case, or you have to throw them out, is a different machloket, Tanaim Ben Zakkai and the Rabbanan. The Tanan, like the Mishnah later on, Memur Aleph is going to teach us, Ma'aseh, there was a story, Ubadak Ben Zakkai Te'enim. Ben Zakkai analyzed the witnesses, this is the Vidikot, the more general questionings, regarding the stems of figs. So Rashi explains over here what happened. There were witnesses regarding some sort of a capital case, and they had said, uh, the, the witnesses had said that it occurred, the crime occurred under a fig tree. So he said to them, Ben Zakai turned to them and he said, were the stems of the figs thin or were they thicker? So 
they ended up contradicting each other in that regard, meaning that's how he challenged them. The point is, so what do you see? Ben Zakai is of the opinion that that would also be necessary, and if they don't want to, to match up, and if they don't, you'd negate their testimony. So therefore, and, and this would also be the position of Rabbi Meir. So therefore, since they contradicted each other, even though in terms of the particulars, they lined up fine, since they contradicted each other in the general idea, like the stems being thick or thin of the fig tree that it was under, or in this case, one said that the clothing of the suspected adulterer was white, the other one said it was black, nonetheless, you throw it out of court, now it's a monetary case, and thus, your mayor says, you only need a court of three to adjudicate this moving forward. The Ravanan, however, disagree. They say, no, as long as they line up in terms of the Chakirot, they line up in the integral facts, the date, the time, etc., it's still upheld. This testimony is valid, even though they contradicted each other in the more superficial facts. And since it's still acceptable, this is a capital case. Thus, you need a court of 23 to adjudicate this moving forward. Okay, so Baruch Hashem, we finished the sugya. We've had eight different explanations to understand this debate, Rabbi Meir and the Chachamim, regarding why you'd need three or 23 for this case of Motzi Shemer. Moving on to a new topic now, and this will lead us to the end of the day today, Be'ezat Hashem. Now, let's just remember how Edim Zomimin works before we see this inside. Rabbi Yosef is teaching us now in Dua related to Motzi Shemra, but an unrelated discussion, really. So let's just talk about this for a second. You know what the halacha is? We spoke about this already, but let's just re re refresh. There's halacha in the Torah called, Motzi she uh, called Edim Zomimin. Edim Zomimin means that if uh, some, uh, a litigant in a case. He brings two witnesses supporting his position against his uh, bar, uh, the other one, the other litigant that he's arguing with. Okay, it doesn't really have to be uh, two litigants. It could be two witnesses testify in court against a certain person. Let's just say he's chayav mita. Easy, easy, easy case. They testify he did a crime that he should be liable to be put to death. A second pair of witnesses enters the court after the first pair. So pair B walks in and they say to the first pair, you could not possibly have known this information about this defendant because you are with us on that day at that time that you're saying this crime occurred, this avera occurred, and therefore your testimony by definition is faulty. Now this is not just contradictory testimony, but this is hazama. They've been mazim, they've totally negated the first one's testimony, and the Torah says not only is the first one's testimony thrown out, but we will punish the first pair of witnesses with the same punishment they were trying to have incurred upon the defendant that they were testifying against. So in the case we've illustrated, they were trying to be mechayev, the defendant mita. Those two witnesses, the first pair, pair A, will actually be chayev mita in court for testifying in a false way once the second pair comes in saying, you were with us on that day and you could not possibly have known. So that's the first point. The second point is, we know that there's a halacha of kam Now what does that mean? We've mentioned this before as well. Kam means that if someone is liable to two levels of severity, of punishment, one is, let's say, death, and the other is a lower, less severe type of punishment, like a monetary payment. If they're both regarding the same situation, let's say the same defendant, the halacha is he'll be put to death, but he won't have to pay money because 
he receives the more severe punishment and it exempts him from the less severe punishment. So now, based on those two introductions, Rabbi Yosef teaches us a very interesting halacha. Amr Rav Yosef, about halfway down, Tetimudbet. Amr Rav Yosef. Now bear with me, we're going to have three pairs of witnesses here. So Rav Yosef says like this. Okay, we have the case of Motzi Shemra. We have a case like this. Husband claims that his wife was Mezana during Kiddushin, again. And again, if it was just without witnesses, it would be a monetary claim, she'll forfeit the Ketuvah. But he brings a pair of witnesses, we'll call it pair A. He brings pair A into court that testify that they know that she was Mezana, they saw it during Kiddushin. So he brings a pair A into court, she was Mezana. Okay, now, that would mean she's Chayav Mita. That's the halacha. Beautiful. But then the father of the bride defends his daughter by bringing in a second pair of witnesses, pair B, and they're mazim eideabal. So they say to the first pair, the second pair, pair B says to pair A, you could not possibly have known that she was mezaneh, that she's straight on that day because you were with us on that day. So let's stop for a second. Pair A, what, what was going to be the outcome of Pair A's testimony? She'd be put to death. Okay? But not only would she be put to death, she would also forfeit her ketuvah. So really, Pair A was indicting the Isha, the woman in this case, to forfeit money and to be put to death. Because if she's mezana during that time period, she would receive skila. Pair B indicts Pair A that they're edim zomemin, they're liars. So they should now have to receive whatever punishment the Isha, who they were testifying against, would potentially have received, which means there's two punishments leveled against them. The monetary, the ketuvah that she would have lost, as well as the, um, the death. So what's going to happen now? What Rav Yosef's going to say is, this is a scenario of Kamli Bidrabamine. Since Per B is liable to punishments that they would have leveled against the woman, we only give them the more severe punishment, which is skila, death, and they don't have to pay for the loss of the ketuvah that would have happened based on their word. Let's read that inside. This is the first step. So Rav Yosef says, in such a scenario, the first pair of witnesses that the husband brought are stoned, they get skila, but they do not pay money. Again, why? Because we say, So therefore, since they're going to receive death for attempting to make the woman chayav mita, they don't have to also pay for the ketuvah that they would have also caused her to forfeit. Good. First step. Now we move on to a second step. Continues the Rav Yosef. Chazar. So it gets more interesting. Chazar vehevi ha'ba'al edim. Now the husband brings after this. So again, we haven't yet put anybody to death, let's say. So, the second pair came and contradicted with Hazama, the first pair. Then, Chazar ve'hevi ha'ba'al edim. The husband brought a third pair of witnesses, ve'hezimum le'edei ha'ba'al. And the third pair made the second pair into edei hazama. So let's speak this out now. What happened now? The third pair comes in, the father of the, the, sorry, the husband brings in a third pair of witnesses. 
And the third pair of witnesses says to the second pair of witnesses, you could not possibly have known that you were with those guys on that day because you were with us elsewhere on that day. So the third pair now is Mazim, the second pair. So now the second pair are Eidei Hazama. So what should happen now? Well, the first pair should be off the hook. But the second pair should now receive Kasher Zamam Lasot Lachiv. What they were attempting to have others receive punishment, they should now have to receive. So let's stop for a second. What would the, th the second pair have accomplished if their testimony would have been upheld? So they were mazim the first pair. Let's stop for a second. They would have made, the second pair would have made the first pair be put to death. Okay, that's I mean we understand that based on the fact that the first pair would have made the Isha been put to death. So the second pair would have made the first pair be liable to death. But also let's take this a step further. Now that the second pair contradicted the first pair, the, the first pair is thrown out the window. What does the husband now have to do because he doesn't have witnesses backing him up and it turns out his claims against the woman were false? We've spoken about this. He has to pay a hundred shekel, a fine of a hundred shekel to the father if the first pair is genuinely thrown out and his, the husband's claims were false. So the third pair, sorry, the second pair would have made the witnesses, the first pair of witnesses killed and the husband have paid a fine of 100, 100 shekel. So the chidush of Yosef is going to say is a big chidush. He says like this, even though when a pair of witnesses or when someone's chayav, the more severe death and monetary payment, the death overshadows the monetary and they don't have to pay, that's only when it's going to be applicable to the same litigant, to the same scenario, the same person. But since the third pair, the second pair, excuse me, the second pair would have made the first pair liable to death and the husband, the separate person, liable to some sort of a penalty, a financial payment, that's looked at as two different scenarios. So now, when the third pair is Mazim, the second pair, the second pair does not exempt the monetary by being killed, but actually, they're going to have to pay the husband for the incurred penalty that he would have otherwise had to pay, and they're going to be put to death for trying to make the first pair chayav mitah. Let's read that inside and I'll explain it again after. So says Rav Yosef, in such a scenario, So first of all, the pair of witnesses, sorry, sorry, excuse me. So first with the first thing is the witnesses of the husband of the father, the second pair of witnesses are going to be end, end up being killed because they were trying to make the first pair uh, killed. That's first of all. Second of all, secondly, also, they have to pay money to the husband because they would have made him have to shell out a hundred shekel as the payment without having witnesses backing him up. He had a false claim. Now they have to shell out that money to the husband as well. So again, let's just say this outside before we continue. Sorry, uh, yeah, so let's read that inside. The money to the husband for the hundred shekel that he would have been obligated. And also they would be chayav mitah for attempting to make the first pair chayav mitah. So let's just speak that out again. 
Since the third pair contradicted the second, and the second would have made the first pair liable to death, and the husband chayav to pay, so therefore the second pair now incurs both penalties as the chidush of Rabbi Yosef is, we don't apply kamle bidurabamine when there's two different responsibilities or punishments regarding two different people, therefore the second pair is going to be killed for what they were attempting to do to the first pair, and pay the knas, the penalty of 100 shekel, for what they were attempting to do towards the husband. That's the chidush of Rabbi Yosef. Let's move on to the next case now. Rav Yosef is going to continue with a new, a new halacha, somewhat unrelated. This is a concept of kamle bidrab mine, of, of, excuse me, of palgina dibura. So let's continue now. V'amar Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef says another halacha. Fellow walks into court and he says as follows, Ploni Rav O Leonso. A person walks into court and says, so this is an extreme uh, claim, he says like this, Ploni, some other person, Yankel, Rav Ola Onso, he sodomized me, he raped me. So a man is claiming this. He raped me, le onso, by force. Okay? So a fellow walks into court and says, another man raped me by force. So now, he raped me by force. I'm not, I didn't do anything wrong, but I was raped. So says Rav Yosef, who the acher mitzdarfin lehargo? If you need two witnesses in order to put this guy to death, but he, the victim of the crime, and another could join together in order to put the perpetrator of this crime to death. Now, let's just speak that out for a second. You need two witnesses to prosecute somebody in court. But the victim in this case is saying he was raped. It was against his will. In such a scenario, he and another could join together to testify against this fellow, which means if there was someone else who had witnessed the crime, plus this fellow who's testifying that it happened to him against his will, to put this person to death, they could both testify and he'd be chayav mita. But, no, if this fellow walked into court and he said, he, that man did have relations, Yankul had relations with me, but I was a willing participant. Okay, so now, we're talking about Mishkav Zachar again. This is homosexual relations, which is prohibited. Totally asur. But he says, I was a willing participant. So now, says Rav Yosef, a very interesting idea. Rashahu. He's making himself, the, the, the person who's saying that the other one had relations with him, but he was willing. It's now making himself into a rasha. The testifier <coughs> is considered a wicked person now. That's a rasha. And we know, the Torah tells us, al-tashet rasha ed. You cannot place a rasha as a witness. Since he's making himself into a rasha, what we're going to say is we throw your testimony out of court. We can't accept your testimony anymore because you're saying you were a willing participant in Mishkav Zachar in homosexual relations, which is something totally prohibited, and a rasha cannot testify. So therefore, we throw your testimony out of court. He's not going to be chayav mita. We can't do anything with that. It doesn't help us in court. Now, if two other witnesses showed up saying they saw this, that's a different story. But he can't testify anymore. We can't accept it because he's made himself into a wicked person. Now, Rava says a major chidush. Rava Amar, Rava says like this. This is a fascinating idea. He says as follows. Adam karov etzel atzmo. We know relatives can't testify about another relative. That's a problem. So Rava says like this. A person's closest relative is himself. Adam karov etzel atzmo. A person is a relative to himself. Actually, it's the closest relative. And therefore, Rava says, Ve'ein adam esim atzmo rasha. I want to explain this with Rashi because it's a beautiful chidush, he says. And you can't make yourself into a rasha. Now, what does that mean? So Rava says like this. 
You're not believed about yourself to make yourself into a wicked person. Why? Because since you're a relative to yourself and you're not believed about relatives, so you're not trusted to make yourself into a wicked person. And therefore, Rava says, we employ here a principle called palginan divure. You take one statement and there's two implications. You accept one of the implications and you disregard the other. This is a major chidush. Literally, palginan divure means we split his word in half. So what does that mean? We accept your testimony regarding the fellow you're testifying about. And therefore, if you and another person testify, even though you were alert, so no, you said I was a willing participant, you could actually put that fellow to death. Ah, you're a rasha. We don't accept your testimony regarding yourself because you're making yourself a rasha with your testimony. So we disregard the fact that you're testifying about yourself and we accept the testimony regarding the implications to the other fellow, the one that you said had relations with you, and therefore he could be put to death if you and another fellow testify about him, but we don't accept you to make you a rasha that you can't be accepted to testify about him. That's called splitting the word. This is a big sugya and shas, but... We take the one sentence you said, we split it into two implications, we disregard one because you can't make yourself into a rasha, and we accept it regarding the other that we would put that fellow to death if someone else joined together to testify with you about him. Major chidush. Now, I just want to point out there's a very important point here from the uh, Musaf Rashi, just on the side over here I have, he quotes the Gemara later. He says, there is a concept in general of hodat baldin kemea edim dami. By monetary cases, if somebody testifies as on his own, I'm the litigant and I testify, uh, I owe somebody money, etc., that's an acceptable uh, testimony, completely acceptable, even though you're saying it about yourself. So Rashi explains there that the distinction is you're believed about yourself for monetary cases, but for punishments, death, malkot, etc., as Rav is saying, you're not trusted about yourself because you can't make yourself into a rasha, and therefore you're not accepted about that. Beautiful. Now, Amar Rava, let's finish off with his last case. Turning to Yudamud Aleph. Now, Rava says a very similar chidush. A fellow walks into court and he says, turning to Yudamud Aleph, top of the page, Ploni Ubalishti. Okay, a fellow walks into court and says, Yankul uh, committed adultery with my wife. Okay, so he's testifying about his wife that she and another fellow had relations. So in such a case, says Rava, Hu ve'acher mitztarfin lehorgo. He and another fellow could join together to put the suspected adulterer man to death, but not to kill her. Now, what's the reasoning for this? It's the same logic. Adam You're considered a relative of your wife. So you're not believed in regards to her side of the story, but you are trusted regarding his. Again, it's splitting implications. We take that sentence you said, you're not trusted regarding your wife, but you are trusted regarding someone else. This is an unbelievable state idea. So therefore, you and another will be believed to put the other fellow to death, but not regarding your wife. Using the same principle of Palgina Dibure. So the Gemara says, My Kamash Malan, well, what's the Chiddush of Rav in this second case? That you split his word. But Hainuach, it's the same as the first Chiddush. What is the difference between this that Rav is adding on to what he said already when you testify about yourself? So the Gemara answers, you may have said, Adam Maybe we say that a person is considered a relative for himself that he's not trusted about his own situation. So therefore, you're not allowed to make yourself into a rasha because you're considered a relative to yourself, and therefore you'd incriminate the other fellow, but not yourself. 
But maybe regarding your wife, that's already somewhat of a distance, we wouldn't say such a principle. And what we would say is actually the wife could be put to death because there's more of a distance there. And maybe your testimony would be effective as Rashi and Tosafot both explain since you're accepted Legabe regarding the suspected adulterer, we would say Migu, also you'd be accepted regarding your wife. So Kamash Malan, therefore the Chidush that we're saying is that no, we employ the principle of Palgina Dibura here as well, and we say you're not believed about your wife, you are believed about the other fellow, just like regarding yourself, you're not believed about yourself, you also, and you're uh, believed about the other fellow. So bottom line, Rav is saying two chidushim, both of them is the same principle, but it's just an extra level of chidush in this case with Ishto, is that you can't make yourself into a rasha, your wife into a rasha, you're not trusted about that. Sorry, you can't be trusted about your wife because she's a relative. Even though you're trusted about the other fellow, you're not trusted about her. <coughs> the other fellow will be put to death if you and another fellow testify about him, but not about your wife, you can't be trusted because you're a relative. We're stopping at the top of Yud Amud Aleph. We'll continue on with a series of the series of chidushim of Rava, God willing, next week. Uh, just a reminder, Motzei Shabbat, we will do a review on the past uh, dafim that we've learned this past week. And I want to wish everyone Shabbat Shalom, a wonderful uh, Shabbat, and uh, all the best. Bezat Hashem, you should hear wonderful things. B'sorah Tovot, all the best.